Dude, my first name's Paniota. Imagine that. <laughs> Penny's my middle name. I have to go by that. Otherwise, everyone would be very confused. Wait, what's your first name? Paniota. P-A-N-A-G-I-O-T-A. And Penny is also your middle name? This is Van Collar. My name is Moamir, and today on This is Van Color, I'm joined by a high-profile, award-winning journalist and reporter for CTV News Vancouver, well-known for her storytelling, scoops, and compassionate portrayals of complex news stories. She cut her teeth as a weekend news anchor for Rogers Communications radio stations before moving to CKNW for four years, where she was a radio reporter, an anchor, and notably a key figure reporting on the chaos of the 2011 Stanley Cup riot. As a CTV News reporter, she is always in search of delivering compelling news stories that have yet to be unearthed and reporting on big, breaking news, from flying the F-18 Super Hornet to reporting on the flooding in North Vancouver in 2014 to breaking news on the B.C. legislature spending scandal she can do it all to get at the heart of what's really happening in our communities. She's also the producer and host of BTS with CTV Vancouver, a behind-the-scenes unfiltered look at the stories behind the stories from the CTV Vancouver newsroom, a true gem in our mediascape. She is, of course, Penny Daflos. Penny, how are you? Well, I feel a lot better now after that introduction. <laughs> Thank you. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I have to be completely honest with you. I'm a little starstruck. Is it the lipstick? It's like my signature thing. I wear a bold <laughs> lip because then it makes people look at me. Oh, oh interesting. That's one of my secrets tip. right off the bat. There you go. Maybe that's one that I'll pass on for now. <laughs> But, uh... I didn't say you had to do it. I'm just saying it, it helps with engagement. You know, like you, people, you want people to look at you. So bright colors, plus it looks good on oh. TV. I feel sometimes I look like a cartoon, but it gets the job done. Yeah, <laughs> I'll try to incorporate something like that in my own repertoire, even though I'm not on television, but just for these like face to face interviews. Well, I'll it is Van Color, so I had to be colorful right. too, right? There <laughs> you go. It. I am starstruck because you're on TV all the time and now you're here. This is amazing. Oh, yeah. And. You know, it's it's funny when people say that because for us, it's just the job that we do when we don't think sure. about our faces being out there and stuff. So whenever somebody, I've been walking across the street and somebody will be like, hey, Penny from CTV. Hello. <laughs> the thing is blinking. I got to finish crossing. But thank you for yeah. saying hello, you know. <laughs> well, one of your recent episodes for BTS with CTV Vancouver really caught my attention. And it sort of is about being in that public spotlight. It was the episode about the harassment of journalists doing live hits or on-the-ground reporting in public. You are someone that's always out of the newsroom, you're on the ground, whether that's flying the F-18 Super Hornet. <laughs> that was just once, that's not a regular thing. Or climbing a 200-foot crane without a harness. I saw the whole video, by the way. That's what they do, so that's what I did. I know. I, I Thinking back on it now, I'm like, how did I do that? Anyhow. I love the video, and I love that when you got to the top, you were just like, holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, I was out of breath, and not just because it was, you know, an exertion to get up there. It's it was scary. daunting. It yeah. looks scary. Yeah. yeah. But you're out there. You're vulnerable to the elements, the most annoying of which I think may be the people sometimes. And there are so many instances of reporters being harassed while just doing their job, 
people passing by in the background. Sometimes they're coming into the foreground. As someone who is on the ground a lot, how common is harassment? And generally, like, what's the spectrum of harassment that reporters face? Well, you know, people are the best part of our job and they can be the worst part of our job. Mm -hmm. And it feels like in the winter months, we don't do as many live reports as we do in the summer just because it's so dark. Right. Right. So you'll see less of that uh, compared to the summertime when it's bright at six o'clock, five, six Mm o'clock. So in the winter, I feel like we get a little bit of a reprieve because we're not live as often. I mean, as you know, we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks, uh, the protests, there's plenty of opportunity that we want to be live on the ground reporting exactly what's happening at five and six o'clock. In terms of how often. You know, I hear from my coworkers because that's what I'm doing this BTS podcast for. I just wanted people to kind of understand the stuff that we deal with. Every couple of weeks, something will happen. Um, Sometimes it's, you know, usually it's as innocuous as somebody being like, hey, mom, like, can I be on TV? Which is harmless and it's fine. (laughs) Still annoying, Uh, though. uh, It can be. But then other times it's, um, you know, somebody trying to disrupt a broadcast Mm -hmm. and trying to um, throw you off your game. Sometimes it is intentional because it's um, people who dislike the media. They don't like what we're doing. They don't Mm. want us there. Um, And other times I think it's just people who are not very aware of... Dude, I'm like focused on this thing that I'm trying to remember all the things uh, that I want to say to my audience because I've only got 10 seconds before I throw to my story that I've spent all day working on. So you're really focused on what you're trying to say. And sometimes it's people just chattering. And I don't think they mean necessarily to um, for something bad to happen. Mm -hmm. But even just somebody just like, hey, what's your story about? You know, like (laughs) that can be. Yeah. Or like (laughs) two seconds too. like, you know, that can be enough. And then it can escalate to the point uh, like we talked in that uh, recent episode of uh, the BTS podcast um, of it, like reaching a physical level. Um, I was um, reporting years ago at the Celebration of Light uh, fireworks. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. You know, it's a great live opportunity for a TV reporter. That's what you want. You're surrounded by crowds. People are generally having a good time. Sometimes there's a bit of actual news to report because there might be liquor pour outs or whatever that you're hearing from the police. Mm. Um, And I was literally like two minutes to, it was like 11.28 because our late newscast is at 11.30. Mm -hmm. Crowds are walking by, you know, you're chatting with your um, camera op and your uh, truck op I had at the time. And a guy walking past just slapped me on the ass like a full slap really and I was so stunned I didn't know what to do he laughed and walked off with his friends and so I couldn't have even picked him out of a crowd I couldn't have told you which group which guy in the group of guys it had been yeah and I mean what do you do then you hear the director in your ear being okay 90 seconds and then you're like, I, I, I literally, I can't scream at the guy. I can't do anything. You're representing the station. You're all branded up. You don't want to be a hysterical woman screaming at some guy that yeah. you can't even point out. You're still working. You're you on your job. You are still working. You have to and go so, live. Yeah. you know, I, I would really, I should go back and watch that live hit just to see what the look on my face was because I'd be really curious now to know. You know, what did me seven or eight years ago, however long ago it was, um, how did I react to that situation? Because it was so rattling. Yeah, I can and imagine. Yeah, it's it's not cool. And so then doing that podcast, um, you know, talking to Shannon, to um, Scott and Mijung, just hearing their experiences, you know, it's not cool. And, and it can get to the, it's, that's a, a physical example. It's, mm-hmm. that is, that's only happened to me once in my career, but the effort in the P situation. Yeah was right. really common for a long time. It doesn't happen nearly as often as it used to. That can still rattle you, even though you're 
you're it's not that you're expecting it, but you know it's a possibility. Um, I just find it um, your frustration level goes from zero to eleven instantly when, when someone does that to you. Yeah. So the the spectrum of harassment really starts from things that are kind of innocuous. People might be just trying to get on camera or say hi, mom, or whatever. Yeah. And then it goes to that physical level, basically sexual assault, and then. You touched on this in your podcast, violence as well, potentially. Yeah. And, um, you know, the effort and the P thing, I mean, some people, you know, consider that a sexual thing. I don't think it is. I think it's just harassment and they're just choosing mm-hmm. to push our buttons in that way. But, you know, when I got slapped on the ass, it's happened to Shannon as well. Um, I don't think it's a sexual motivation. I think it's just harassment. And that's just like the easiest way to act on it. I'm, I'm sure other people would feel um, differently about it. That's just uh, my perspective. But we're out there doing a job. I don't think it's acceptable for um, someone delivering mail to be harassed. Yeah. I don't think it's acceptable for a teacher or a nurse or anybody out on the job to face any kind of harassment. They're out there in the mm-hmm. public doing their work. We're the same. You know, we're, yes, we're, we're um, public faces. We're on TV because that's the nature of the medium that we do our journalism in. But that doesn't mean that we want to be targets and that we're, you know, want that kind of attention. Yeah, of course. And You know, that sexual harassment and assault in terms of the groping or the grabbing is quite concerning because it does reflect a certain toxicity in our culture. Because if a man is willing to yell effer in the pee or inappropriately touch a woman on camera, what are they doing off camera? You know, like, and I do feel like most women, if not all women that I know, have some story about being grabbed by a total stranger and outside of a nightclub. Not that it's justified in a nightclub anyways, but just in a very innocuous setting as well, being touched inappropriately. Do you think that the camera, for some reason, attracts idiots? Because I feel like it should be a deterrent to that type of behavior. It's funny, you know, we call the camera sometimes the idiot magnet, right? Right. Because people will come (laughs) to do stupid things. And Yes, for some people, they're better behaved around cameras, but I think just the type of person who's willing to do that, they are not worried about what their mom thinks of them seeing, you know, them behaving in that way. Maybe they think that we're not going to broadcast it or put it out there because we're embarrassed about what happened to hmm. us. I really, the, the motivation to me, I just have a hard time understanding it. Like, and I can understand like little kids, you know, they wave at the camera and they think it's cute. And sometimes, you know, if we're doing a snow story or something that's a lighthearted thing, we'll put that in there because I think it's really sweet. Yeah. Um, but when it reaches the level of... Um, wanting to make us uncomfortable, wanting to make us um, feel bad. Mm -hmm. That's not cool. And again, just because we put ourselves out there as as part of our job does not mean that we're opening ourselves up to harassment or that we want anything like that to happen. And it doesn't happen to the guys. I mean, it it does happen to a far lesser extent, just kind of that um, harassment and seeing what they can get away with. Um, But I think that women, um, there's just a perception that it's, it's easier to do to us. Yeah. When we talk about the perpetrators of this type of harassment, is it mostly men that are perpetrating that type of thing then? Unfortunately, yes. I'm, I'm hard pressed to think about a time that a woman made me feel uncomfortable. I've had pe- uh, women tell me, you know, 
what are you doing here? Like, this is my neighborhood. Like, I'd rather you not be here. Or, you know, what are you doing filming on a playground? But that's not harassment. That's more engaging and and questioning why we're there. And I'm happy to have that discussion at any time. Mm -hmm. We're not, you know, showing any pictures of children. We just need to show that this is a busy playground where there was a dog attack or something happened. So usually when you talk to somebody, that's fine. And that's sometimes it can be it can start out as a heated conversation. Sure. (laughs) But that's not a harassment thing. I don't see that as a harassment thing. And for me personally, and I can't speak for everybody. I can't think of a time that it was a woman um, setting out to make me feel uncomfortable in my job. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. You you mentioned that incidents like these happen quite often, at least, you know, every few weeks, something sort of happens. How do you prepare for your media hits on the ground in public mentally then? Like, are you always thinking about that in the back of your head of there's going to be disruptions or because I just imagine, especially when you're in a crowd, like say if you're outside of a Canucks game, there's already like a lot of movement. There's a lot of distraction. You kind of have to zone in. How much of you is bracing yourself for harassment or disruption like that? I mean, I think we, especially when we're live, we've always got our head on a swivel. You're doing a bit of a <laughs> risk assessment. You're looking around. You're you can be it can be anything from just chatting to people just to get a feel of the mood that's around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also relying on your camera op. You're watching their back because you're facing each other, right? And yeah. I'm not just looking at the camera. I'm looking at a tiny little pinprick in the middle of the camera. You can't just look at the and sometimes the lights in your face, and oh, it's hard to know where that pinprick is. But that's how you make that real kind of eye to eye contact that I think is important. Oh, okay. Um, so you're so you're watching behind your camera op because they're focused right on that little viewfinder. They're looking right. at you. They're looking behind you. So it's you're it's like a staring contest, but yeah. you rely on each <laughs> other, right? Um, oftentimes, uh, you know, we're not in a really busy situation like that so your concern level is lower but I think your senses are heightened it's always in the back of your head but most of the time I'm just trying to think of what am I trying to tell the audience Mm -hmm. I spent all day um, talking to people researching trying to get to the bottom of something so what am I trying to convey and if you spend too long being distracted about what could happen Mm. I think it shows in your face right so you really want to be engaged with like what you want to tell somebody and it's not just what you've memorized you really have to say okay what am I telling someone yeah and it's all often um like our um philosophy at ctv news it's like how would you tell your mom Mm. right so you don't want to use like big complicated words if you can help it like and and my mom's esl so i often think like how would i explain my story today to my mom sure yeah right and it's it's just trying to be engaging and explain things in a way that is um that you can connect with and so that i think is important to come across in our live hits as well so Mm -hmm. you're always thinking about oh god what could the terrible things that happen? What, what could they be? But I think the the foremost in our heads is, you know, what are we talking about? And especially on a developing story, yeah. man, you were thinking about, okay, what's the latest? You're checking your email. There's news channel asking you for a hit. Oh, you just got a, a text from a friend who happens to be somewhere else where something's happening. So you're just trying to absorb all this information. Um, it is a, it can be a very intense job. Sure. And I think it underlines the idea that you sort of mentioned earlier where it can really throw you off your game when there is harassment. Like, it sounds like you're trying to dial in and really focus in on effectively your job. So when someone is disruptive, it it throws off that whole mojo, right? Yeah, and you want to be where stuff is happening. You want to be around people, but sometimes you just get a bad vibe or mm-hmm. you just, there is someone making you feel uncomfortable and so you just let the producers know, yeah. hey, I think we're just going to need to repo somewhere mm. where uh, maybe the cameraman's back is going to be to a wall. 
so he's not worried about somebody coming up behind him. Or maybe send somebody down just as a second set of eyes, just because it really is busy here, um, just to be able to help out for that yeah. kind of stuff and run interference. Um, I don't know if people are really aware of the changes in broadcast technology in the last few years, but it's um, we never use trucks anymore. Like People are used to, oh, the big van with the logo. Um, we go live from, it's basically a small suitcase right now. Hmm. Um, it connects to the camera. Uh, we use the DeGero platform. It's got a bunch of cellular cards in it. And so it doesn't have the noise of a generator. We're not making people upset by all the noise in their neighborhood. Uh, and it means we're really agile. If you see us going live from a, a truck in the middle of a commute, going down a snowy highway or whatever, that's how we're doing it. There's this little suitcase. Um, and so that means that we can move when we need to. Okay. We can go tuck away uh, somewhere small. Um, but it also means that sometimes people genuinely don't know that we're going live. They think we may just right. be recording something or because we're standing around there for 15 minutes. You know, 15 minutes before you go live, you call in, yeah. you make sure the audio is working, that there's not a usually it's a 1.5 second delay between what I hear in the control room and when they say it. So right. you're accounting for all of that kind of stuff. It takes some preparation. And then we're just standing there chit-chatting for 15 minutes. <laughs> and so, yeah, I can I can chat with someone for a couple minutes, but the closer we get to airtime, uh, can you hold that thought for just a moment? Yeah. Uh, so that's why I say some people, they just genuinely don't understand how we work because that little box there, mm -hmm. that means we're going to go live very soon. Right, <laughs> you know? yeah. You mentioned sometimes you call a second set of eyes. And that was actually going to be my next question. I feel like a lot of people would think, ah, oh, don't you carry around security or some muscle to to accompany you and your crew? No. No, no. I mean, usually it's, think about it. I mean, it could be during the teacher strike, you're outside the school board offices and mm -hmm. you're just, you know, doing a live report on the latest on negotiations. That it just, it doesn't, you don't need that, right? Most sure. places you, you really don't need that. It's it's pretty exceptional that we need that second set of eyes just because we do try to, um, you know, chat with people around, just let them know we're going live. This is what's happening. We're just trying to stay out of people's way. It's not usually an issue. Um, and to try to staff it with that extra person, it would just be really hard. There's yeah. just not enough of us to, uh, to well, do listen, that. I'm pretty soft, but <laughs> if I look big. Okay, so if okay. you ever need anyone, uh, I can you put you on a speed dial just Please. as an emergency backup. Okay, that's <laughs> good to know. That's good to know. <laughs> so when you are doing those hits, in your mind, what is an acceptable level of engagement for people that are in the background? Like, are you fine with people throwing up the peace sign or waving at the camera? Or is even that kind of annoying when you're when you're on air? You know what? I, I don't mind it if it's, again, if it's a lighthearted story, like you're at the fireworks or you're at a cool um, community event. Like, that's nice because that's just how people are going to react. That's fine. Mm -hmm. What I is such a shame is sometimes we'll do um, live hits outside of our studio at Robson and Burrard. People have probably seen us as we're uh, as they're driving by or walking by. Mm -hmm. I can be reporting on a really tragic set of circumstances. And you're yeah. not going to know, looking at the back of my head and all the lights, what I'm talking about. So when someone's acting really goofy in the background, it, it's not about disrespecting me. It's about disrespecting the story that we're talking about. Yeah. It can be a family's um, search for justice. I've just come back from court. Sometimes, you know, it, it, it can be a really serious, heartbreaking story. And people are acting goofy in the background. And I just... It's not cool. Yeah. You know, if you see a camera, like, you know, if, if people look like they're able to chat, come by for a chat, come say hi. Always happy to do that. It's not that about disrespecting me or another reporter. It's about disrespecting the people in the story. Mm -hmm. So I would just hope that people would think about that next time they want to flash a peace sign or do whatever. You know, just think about what we might be talking about might be really sad and horrific. Yeah. 
And that's a great guideline because I don't think people would know what you're talking about unless, for example, you are outside of Rogers Arena. Sure. And clearly there's Canucks game. You're probably reporting on the Canucks game. Yeah, right? yeah. So that would make sense. There's a little more energy and there is a lot of movement. But just in general, not to do that, I think. And I don't think most people know that or most people are cognizant of that idea, right? No, they're just thinking, oh, cool. My mom will see me on TV. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Looking well, like she, a jackass. She might and you might not like the response, you know? I want to go back to this idea of uh, people yelling very crude things or even crossing that boundary where they they touch you or assault a reporter. Obviously, when it comes to touching and assault, you know, that is a criminal offense. But when someone yells something like the effort and the P, is that a criminal offense? No one's actually ever been prosecuted in this country. They had considered it in Calgary uh, during the celebrations on the Red Mile, and I believe it was downgraded to... I actually don't think the person was even charged. And Hmm. I am conflicted on that because sometimes people are just immature. Sometimes they don't realize um, that they've actually gotten on TV. I just, I think sometimes a moment of stupidity can end up following somebody around in a way that's disproportionate to what they've done. Right. And I'm not saying that I like when people do that, but should they have a criminal record Hmm. for a moment of stupidity? I'd rather be able to um, report that. And if that person is identifiable, somebody to be able to have like a real serious talk with them about how that is harassment. And if you do that again, yeah, then maybe there's like a warning system. I don't know what it is. And there's probably journalists who are going to be listening to this right now and screaming, no, they should be charged. (laughs) Um, But maybe I'm just... It's only journalists that listen to this show, by the way. (laughs) They're all screaming that. No, but I just, um, I think education is important. And I think if people just see us more, um, if, if, if it's not just, oh, the media, we're journalists, we're there doing a job. Mm-hmm. It's probably for a serious story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in Surrey reporting on, uh, it was a uh, impaired driver who like hit a bunch of cars through a bunch of intersections in Surrey. Mm-hmm. And I think somebody ended up dying at the end of this long um, uh drunk driving spree and I was doing a stand-up uh, it's it's not a live thing it's where you see the reporter in the story because sometimes it's visually challenged or we just want to be able to explain to something explain something by pointing from here to there so I, I think I was saying something about you know the driver came around this corner and took off that way and my cameraman was doing a really great job we, you know it takes a couple of takes sometimes to mm-hmm. get the timing right and a car drove by because um, I was standing on the sidewalk and screamed it right in my ear, Effer in the pee. And I just, Jeez. I jumped out of my skin because it was just so loud and shocking at that time. Yeah. So, and it was not like we weren't doing some sort of goofy story. It wasn't a nothing story. We were reporting on an impaired driver and somebody who died. So we're not out there, you know, and it's it's funny in the, in the YouTube generation, I think there's a lot of people out there filming videos and doing all sorts of kooky stuff that, hey, maybe that's something that they can riff on mm-hmm. as part of what they're putting out there maybe some people appreciate that kind of thing as as like a jumping off point where they're doing a serious job and and it's just not um it's not nice how about when it comes to the actual slapping someone's ass or groping them or whatever how often do those incidents result in criminal charges uh, again, it, you know, it's hard to identify somebody. Um, a couple years ago, we had somebody um, 
it was a murder case in South Vancouver, double murder. And so they had, it was the uh, Rocky, Rocky Rambo, Wayne Amcam uh, situation that the, the trial is ongoing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and our reporter had gone to the home of the, I think it was the elderly couple or no, it was uh, Rocky Rambo's home um, and talked to the downstairs neighbor just to be like, hey, you know, what kind of a person is he? Like, you know, he's a mystery just because he was accused of murdering this elderly couple. And the fellow asked them to leave. It was uh, our crew and another crew. Um, And so they started backing away. But I guess it wasn't fast enough for him. And he rushed them and he charged them. And uh, one of the cameras got smashed to the ground. Um, He was screaming. It it got quite physical. Um, No charges ended up being laid in that case yeah so like the legalities of it and you know everything um i i was not intimately involved in that so i i can't speak to Mm -hmm. a lot of the details but um I'm not saying this is an excuse for people to assault reporters because nothing's going to happen. Because uh, I think if, if something serious were to happen, yeah, there would be um, an investigation at the very least. And then there would be an assessment of what would happen. Um, and, you know, in some ways that would be a really good deterrent just to keep people from doing that. Yeah. I think for the most part, though, like that guy, he was the main part of the story that day because he hmm. attacked a couple of journalists. Yeah. Right. So that should be a deterrent for people as well, because guess what? We're, we're there with cameras all the time. Yeah. So if something happens, like it's going to be, it's, it's happened in other stations. There was a um, city TV reporter in Toronto uh, that a guy ended up losing his job and stuff over the effort in the peace situation. He ended up getting was that it the back. guy that was confronted when yes. he, when he, after he yes, yelled it, he was yeah. charged. Oh, interesting. Yeah, being mean doesn't mean that there will be charges. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, right. That's. Uh, but I think that the um, attention that was put on him, his name is out there and everything. Um, I think that after that, it feels like those uh, incidents were definitely on the decline. Yeah, and there is that case in the U.S. and obviously that's the U.S. versus Canada, where a woman was reporting on a marathon that was Community happening. Community run something. Yeah, yeah, something like that, and then she was slapped on the rear end. But I think they are pursuing criminal yeah. charges with that guy the last who was time, like a pastor or something. Yeah, youth pastor. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Who got caught up in the moment and apologized. And I think that's part of it is that it's such an unusual circumstance that people are like, oh, this will be funny. Not so funny. Uh, and yeah, like Canadian and American law is so different. Even like province to province, I'd expect to see different things happen. And I think if it was something super serious, um, I, I trust that the um, RCMP and VPD and local police would do something to to help us out. Luckily, yeah. we've been so lucky. There's been nothing super serious. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like, listen, I'm very dumb and I can get <laughs> caught up in the moment sometimes. And in getting caught up in the moment, sometimes I will do dumb things. But slapping a stranger on the ass has never been in that realm of dumb things that I will do. You know what I mean? That's why, like, I, you know, I I try to understand it and I'm trying to, you know, it's part of being a journalist. You try to see both sides, right? Yeah. Um, It's not cool. I don't like it. You know, now I would probably outright, like, flip out on somebody. Yeah. Just because of, you know, a buildup of of stuff over the years kind of thing. Um, What would you say to someone who says, okay, it's not right, but it's not a big deal. Don't ruin someone's life over yelling something crude or slapping someone on the ass. It's just a bad joke. Move on. How would that person feel if somebody came to their job and did the same thing? Right. And I think that if you're willing to do something like that in a public place, mm-hmm. okay, let it go public. Yeah. People, if you're that proud of your behavior, let's let everybody see it. Maybe that's, you know, pour some daylight on it and maybe that's the solution. I, I don't think that um, 
someone else shouldn't figure out what's a big deal for me or for anybody else. Yeah. And that is often the pushback that you see, especially online, of people saying, oh, don't ruin this person's life over it or don't publicly shame then don't do it in the first place. I'm sorry. Like there's, like you say, a, a normal person isn't going to do that. Yeah. A normal person. And that's like, and the reason I say that it's a buildup is because we are, particularly women, we're working in a medium where there's a lot of scrutiny on us. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're expected to look polished and pretty, but smart and all these things all the time. So then you know, you've got all these things in your head because it's not just like I said earlier, you know, I'm thinking about what to say. I'm trying to say it in in a compelling way. I'm also like, is my nose shiny again? (laughs) Did I smudge my lipstick when I put it on your thing? And then the wind is blowing and you're like, oh, Jesus, I'm going to look like a, like a, you know, some crazy bird with my hair flying all over the place. There's all these things. So when you're already in like this heightened sense of self-awareness, there's a little, there's always a little bit of anxiety. It's it's that little spice to uh, broadcasting. Of course. Um, To have that happen, and on top, I think people wouldn't realize that you were already kind of um, in a heightened state of awareness. So if, if you're just walking down the street and somebody slaps you on the butt, maybe that's bad enough. But when you are already hyper aware of all these things and you're totally in the zone to have that happen, mm-hmm. it's just multiplied. And I don't expect somebody who's going to excuse that kind of behavior to understand that. But we are definitely um, really it's I don't know how else to describe it, but in the zone. Yeah. Touching on what you just said about you obviously have this aesthetic preparation and, and you're, you have a lot of things going on in your head. And something that I alluded to earlier, how much of this is a genderized issue? I think that people who want to harass journalists will harass journalists. I mean, the F and the P thing has happened to our male reporters over the years. That definitely mm-hmm. happens. I think but again, pe- the perpetrators are generally the per- yeah, male. <laughs> um, unfortunately, um, and I don't know what it is. I mean, when it comes to criticism of appearance, I think it's it's women just as often as men. I think it, mm. the appearance thing is a lot more, um, women are a lot more likely to be vocal about stuff like that or, mm. or criticize what we look like. So I think it just depends on... Even uh, you, Penny Daflos, who is so colorful uh, and prepared. <laughs> it, well, it, it happens to everybody. It's not about us, right? I think yeah. sometimes it's about what we represent. Mm. And I think that that's what makes us uh, a target sometimes. And what do you mean by that? Um, Because I, you know, we're just normal people living in the community. We're just talking about what's happening in our world. We're asking about why your property taxes are going up. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get information on coronavirus, travel restrictions, all sorts of stuff. We're people who live in the community. You'll see us at your grocery store. You'll see us all over the place. But what is it that you represent? And I think that we represent kind of the bigger, like if people hate, you know, CNN or, or maybe they've seen something in the movies. Like that's, that's another thing too, is that people come talk. Oh, you're so normal. Yeah, why would I be normal, man? Like I'm just, you know, I'm just reporting on what's happening. So I think it's just like rep- the big bad media and, you know, we represent all that kind of stuff. I think that that may be more than anything else. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's just a theory. Maybe other people have different theories, but I think that's part of what is, is happening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there has to be a certain detachment from the actual person doing the the work, the reporter, and, and the person that's getting mad at them for no reason, right? Like, they're not seeing them as a person or an individual. They're seeing them as a big part of this corporate machine or whatever they're they're and the times that we hear fake news yelled at us in the last few years that has totally replaced the effort and the p thing as the insult of choice yeah 
It's like, what fake news? I am literally, I've got a council report in my hands. What is fake about this? It's because they don't care. Yeah. Right. It's, it's again, it's I think we're just representing something that they're opposed to. And they it's a lot of times I think it's people who don't even consume local news and mm-hmm. don't know really what it is that we do um, and what our values are, which is, you know, talking about what's happening in our community. And if somebody has concerns, if something bad is happening, if something good is happening, mm-hmm. that's what we're here for. Yeah. I imagine it's made a lot tougher when you have the president of the United States sort of using that as his mantra when it comes to the media, right? Like he's very much legitimized that idea of it's all fake news. Don't believe anything. Totally. Also, they're your enemy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's it's a really weird, sad thing. I mean, I think it's a little bit on the decline, but maybe I'm optimistic in saying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's something that, you know, every reporter in every medium will tell you is a frustration that, you know, really? being, being out and covering. And this of- is a fairly new phenomenon then. Yeah, just in the last few years, right? Like, how long has Trump been around? Like, that's been how long we've been hearing Hopefully it. Hopefully so not for much longer. Three, well, <laughs> who knows? I mean, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, it's it's definitely entered the lexicon. And unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever be rid of it. Um, yeah. I think the novelty of just screaming it as a, at a journalist is wearing off. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. So with all of that said... What is the journalistic importance of doing those live hits, of being on the ground in public? Because there's obviously risks involved. It sounds like it's quite stressful. Why even do them? There are a lot of reasons. Um, the, The easiest one is usually there's something happening at the time. So the only way to tell you about it is to be there and say, hey, uh, there's a negotiation going on right now in this building behind me. We've been seeing people walking back and forth, you know, really quickly or maybe, you know, it's gone silent or whatever. So you can really kind of explain to people what's happening at that moment. And I think that's just so powerful Mm -hmm. because sometimes big things happen. Um, A few years ago, I don't know if you remember, there a container at the port of Vancouver caught fire and the smoke. um, It was like this noxious smoke uh, was billowing for hours and hours there was a shelter in place order for uh you know gas town like a whole bunch of vancouver because the smoke was blowing all over so in that case man i did so many live hits because it was oh look fire crews are pouring water on it the smoke is changing color now it's shifted direction so it was this evolving situation and it was just a really important way being able to show people what is happening think about elections think Mm -hmm. about all these times stuff is happening as we're talking about it to you and I think it's such a a super powerful thing to be able to do and I know you're probably thinking because when you told me you wanted to talk about this you're like why do they put reporters out in storms (laughs) the wind is blowing the rain is coming down Anderson Cooper made a whole career of that (laughs) and and I was trying to think of like how do I articulate that to somebody but um, there's like Like we get it it's it's bad there's stuff lying around. Well, okay, but do you remember there was like a, a, a black and white movie that was done years ago. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like, it was all about um, airplanes and it, it took place in World War One or World War Two, and, and they shot these like aerial flight sequences and it was just the plane flying through the sky and mm-hmm. you couldn't tell how fast it was going or really what it was doing and they realized it wasn't very dramatic because there was no frame of reference. So they needed clouds and other planes and a landscape to be able to show how fast, how close to the ground to be able to show the Just drama. some people out there in that storm. So um, <laughs> I think it's it's one thing to see rain falling and you know pounding um, with a flood risk somewhere. It's another yeah. thing to see somebody 
who can barely talk because the rain is coming down and the wind is blowing so hard that it's literally, I've had times that it's blowing in my face. I can barely (laughs) breathe because it like inflates your lungs. I'm sorry you're laughing. No, no, but I think that, but then I think you can put yourself in that person's shoes and be like, holy crap, I can't imagine being there or what that must be like. And I think that we are just kind of that human litmus test almost like we are there instead of you we're there so you don't have to be sure kind of thing right and i think that that's Thank actually you for your service <laughs> well, i think it's actually really powerful just like i feel we i i go to court um and and covered all the ride hailing decisions a couple of weeks ago mm. because not every person can be in there and take time out of their day to do that everyone's entitled to we've yeah. got an open court principle you can go in there it's not feasible. It doesn't make sense. I'm there on your behalf to tell you what happened. Same thing when there's a, an extreme weather situation. We are there to tell you what it is like mm-hmm. for people who may still be there. Yeah. Right? Do you like doing those weather hits, those extreme snowstorm or just storm hits? I think it's, it may not look fun at the time. <laughs> <laughs> or one year I like scratched my cornea in like, oh a, my God. I, yeah, because it was like blowing snow and stuff out on Sumas Prairie. Uh, Do you have scars? No, no, not scars. <laughs> no, but, but like, I mean, it was, like in the yeah, symbolic I mean, sense. I, I have gone home injured. and needed like a heating pad and a blanket and stuff to warm up after because you just get so chilled. Wow. Um, I I like being where th- stuff is happening. Yeah. So I think it's it's exciting and it's interesting and it's stimulating that way. Um. But yeah, I mean, there's been days that it's like, okay, where am I going to put all the, like my rain jacket is soaked. And so my poor husband knows, you know, okay, we're going to put that straight to, you know, somewhere that the puddle's not going to matter or whatever when you get home. <laughs> right. So yeah, it can be, it can be really exciting, but it's also just as exciting to be, um, you know, at the legislature when things are unfolding with mm. the spending scandal and be able to tell people, I just talked to such and such. Here's what we just found out. Right. Um, just that to be able to explain I just found something out. I just learned something and bring it straight to our, our viewers and um, our, our whether they're online or on TV or whether they're, you know, reading, um, clicking on a link on Twitter and seeing it on their phone. Um, it's just really important to just tell them right away as soon as we find out. Sure. You're being very positive about everything. I like that. But <laughs> is there a particular type of live hit or hit on the ground where you're just like, OK, I'll do it, but it's not my favorite. I'm really not keen on doing this type of live hit um i don't i mean if it's like a safety issue but then like our producers are really good about that right um so that makes me uncomfortable but i just talk to someone and usually it's fine um yeah i guess it's when there's not safety i mean you're climbing cranes and well no really (laughs) well that i mean like i the people were really looking after me and and making sure i was okay and actually a quick aside for when i climbed the crane i almost chickened out partway up so uh, the story was there has been a building boom in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And so it turned out that um, we had more cranes in the Metro Vancouver area than like anywhere else in North America because oh, of the okay. building boom yeah. a few years ago. And so when I contacted the crane association or whatever they call themselves to, you know, confirm that that was actually the case, they were like, yeah, you know, we've got a lot of them here. And would you like to go up? Yeah. And I was like, Sure. How bad can it be? (laughs) Well, there's no harness because you'd have to be unclipping and clipping constantly. It's like a series Mm. of little ladders that you go up and it was kind of windy that day. And I almost chickened up partway up. And then I looked over and there was a partially constructed building because obviously what the crane was working on. And there were these construction workers that were laughing at me and they were like, this chick is never going to make it up. And I was like, 
I'm going to do it just out of spite. <laughs> so that was Good basically what I did. And I mean, I had the... Um, it had a safety briefing. The fellow at the top was really lovely and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I finished climbing that crane out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. And the clip that I saw online, I don't think it was the news story. It was literally it was just, just an extended you me with climbing. wearing the GoPro and climbing the, yeah. the thing. And yeah. then they had like a chopper view yeah. of you Chopper at the top. 9 yeah. was really awesome about that, <laughs> that too. Great. My friends up in Chopper 9. Yeah, I think the, the only live hits that I, I don't like doing, to tell you the truth, are the ones that there's nothing really going on. That, you know, there was something happening earlier in the day, um, just because I feel like people don't need to see my face. Like, just get to the story and the good video, right? Right. Okay. But um, there's different reasons for that. So another reason that um, live hits are good is because um, it changes the pacing of the show. Mm. You know, you get to see the reporters out in the field where we've been doing the work. We get to interact with the anchors who are super awesome. Sometimes they ask us questions that... You know, I didn't think to include that information in the story because mm-hmm. Scott Robertson, Mi Jung Lee are amazing. And they'll be like, hey, you know, what about this? Yeah, you know what? I should have mentioned that. <laughs> That's kind of like the, well, what I didn't have time for in a minute 30 in my story. Yeah. Uh, but so it's just a really nice opportunity to engage with our anchors as well and just remind people it's not just a disembodied voice in the story. Mm-hmm. There's a person who worked really hard and talked to a lot of people or dug through a bunch of documents to bring you the story that you're seeing. Yeah. When you are doing those hits, just out of curiosity, because I don't know, and I feel like a lot of listeners might not know either, are you reading from a script or are you just, you just kind of memorized what to say or you've thought about what to say and you're just kind of saying it? It depends. Okay. Right? Um, Usually it's like I have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to say. It'll be two or three lines. We try not to be... um, like 15 seconds is really long 10 seconds is about good so you just try to be really wow okay. yeah and then Sinjin Alexander who's a dear friend of mine he's very famous for like six seven seconds straight to the story because like that's just his jam he, yeah. he just wants people to see his story right away um so yeah usually it is fairly scripted um but in a breaking news situation I might have um just some numbers um, say that, you know, it's um, 30 people evacuated from a building or X number of people who've been reported hurt, uh, the names of the uh, the intersection that I'm at, um, just certain things, because you never know when you're going to have a brain fart. Exactly, yeah. Right? So there's just like a couple of things. So um, I remember years ago, there was a group of uh, Syrian refugees uh, that they'd been having a gathering. Um, it was uh, some sort of community hall on Kingsway. And it was after the event and somebody came by and pepper sprayed a bunch of people these poor Syrian refugees Hmm. standing outside of this event. So we screamed down there. We barely got there in time. And um, I think we got there at like 1125 kind of thing, setting up the gear and trying to do everything to be live for 1130. And so I literally wrote down like King's way. Uh, Just like the really basic stuff, because I did not want to forget, you know, where I was in the middle of being like, okay, I'm half a block away. I can't smell any pepper spray myself right now, but this happened about 45 minutes ago. So that might not be unusual. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's what we call a see and say. So I talked about it on my podcast before, but it's basically when you don't have a lot of information to go on because it's happening right now. Yeah. I'm just, again, as a representative of anybody else who'd be there, I'm just um, telling the viewer what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what people are telling me. So sometimes there's not much on that notepad at all. And other times, if it's a really legal story, for example, very careful about the wording. Yeah. Very careful about the wording, for sure. Of course. Yeah. Just out of general curiosity, have you ever been caught blank while you're live on camera? How often does that happen? You're asking me to talk about like some... Like an embarrassing... You get vulnerable. Well, this is what the whole show is no, about. No, I know. I get that. Um, sometimes you draw a blank. 
course. Uh, and it I mean, feels does, like right? forever. Yeah. And then you go back and you watch the tape and you're like, okay, that was like two seconds. It felt like three hours, but it was maybe, yeah, you get derailed. Sometimes, um, you know, a, a siren is in the background or, or you hear something mm. really loud and you just get distracted for that split second. Sometimes it's mid-sentence. Yeah. And you're like, oh man, what was I saying? <laughs> so then you just got it. That's why, I, you know, I'm old school. I always have a notepad yeah. because I have been in situations where, you know, you might have your notes or your script on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really cold out. 35% battery and it will die and you can't rely on it. So, oh, I didn't oh realize that. God, yeah. So iPhones, huh. that's one thing I've learned in this business. Yeah. Uh, the colder it is outside, the less you can rely on your phone as the battery gets low because really? um, these batteries, yeah, they're really sensitive to cold and apparently heat as well. So I'm huh. really old school. I always have a notepad and I just try to jot down my stuff, um, pen and paper. Yeah. And I'm a real, I love technology. I use it for everything, but that is one thing that I'm like, no. Yeah, fascinating. So I have a specific notepad, Momir, that is like, I've got like 30 of them, of these same notepads. It's like a nine by 12. And you want to know why I stick with this notepad? Because it is in my handwriting. It is exactly one minute. If I fill it up. And so I know like for a live hit, intro, voiceover when the video starts, I know they're going to play a clip that's going to be 10 or 15 seconds. And then whatever else I have to say. It's going to be a minute long. Wow. Is the timing all on you or is someone, is the cameraman or someone in the background giving you a So, a yeah. Or... So what you may not realize is anytime you see a reporter live on TV, they've got an earpiece in. Okay. Gotcha. And um, they are hearing the director and or the producer back at the station. Right. Okay. So sometimes they'll <laughs> be like. Another thing to keep in your head. Sometimes basically. they'll be like, there's no video playing because we're having issues here. Right. So it's like. Okay, I guess I'm not looking at my notepad for the rest of what I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, sometimes they'll be like, okay, wrap it up. Or there's somebody behind you, so you need to finish this really quickly or whatever. Mm. And our um, head director, Charles Wright, is absolutely amazing. I've had to show up at a scene and um, like I'm still wiring up and stuff when I'm supposed to be you know, in position and ready to go. And Charles would be like, everything is fine. Your tape is in. You look... Uh, very calm. I know you may not f- be feeling it, but you look great. We're going to be coming to you in two minutes. Everything's going to be fine. And That's even awesome. just his voice, just saying that in your ear when there's mayhem all around you, um, it can be enough to kind of just steady your nerves and, and help get you through sure. what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I want to switch gears briefly to talk about another challenging aspect of, of your work. And that's speaking to victims or families who may be very emotionally charged. When you're speaking to someone who is very emotional, maybe they've gone through some trauma or loss, why is it important to get them on camera? Because I know that there is the charge that's often thrown around of, oh, the media is exploiting victims and their families, and they shouldn't have them on camera during this very stressful or troubling time. So we did a recent podcast episode on this, and I had done one last year sometime as well because that is something that I get asked like you know you know you meet people at a dinner party or whatever mm-hmm. and they're like well why do you do this there are a couple reasons and the most important and most humbling one for me is that oftentimes people want to talk yeah family members um friends of people who have died or been seriously injured they want to come out and say um, this was a really wonderful person mm-hmm. and the world has lost someone important. Um, if people don't want to talk, no problem. I just say, you know, you've got my number. If you change your mind, 
sometimes they do, you know, a few days later, you know, get in touch and other times they don't. So it's important about respecting their wishes, but it's also um, about giving them a platform to be able to say what they want to say. Um, right. The the plane crash um, that devastated the Iran- Iranian community is a really good example. People wanted mm-hmm. the world to know who we lost. Yeah. Um, the young woman who... Um, was uh, walking over a trailer hitch and dragged in the downtown east side a few months ago and um, needs extensive plastic surgery on her face now because of her horrific injuries, Desiree Avancio. Um, her sister, uh, I was contacted first by a different sister and then her sister who was in town um, wanted to talk because she wanted to bring attention to the fundraiser mm. and how this was just a, a young woman. At the time, we didn't know the circumstances around it, but it turns out it was just a terrible mistake and you know Mm -hmm. lack of judgment but she wanted people to know what a wonderful person she is and if people wanted to help and felt strongly you know to donate to a GoFundMe Mm -hmm. Um, so that's important and then when it comes to other stories where you see people crying in a story or you Mm -hmm. see them getting super emotional at the end of the day we are human And um, Al Tompkins, um, who's a really great journalist, wrote a book called Aim for the Heart about how we remember what we feel better than what we know. Right. So you could watch a story that's full of statistics that's telling you, um, you know, certain percentage of people had their homes foreclosed on and it's because the mortgage rate it went from this number to that number and it's just full of numbers and you're like, okay, facts are important, but to see somebody getting really emotional because they lost their home, mm-hmm. that's something that you engage with and you sympathize with and you just feel a human connection with this person, even for a couple of minutes. And I think it's just a really powerful way of not just telling their stories. And so people understand what's happening with that individual person, mm-hmm. but it speaks to something bigger. And so, you know, people think that we're vultures and that we're awful people when they see somebody crying on the news, but oftentimes uh, maybe they didn't intend to. Um, one fellow I talked to a few months ago, um, he was a cancer survivor. His cancer had come back, but he was on a, a different treatment. He got quite emotional just talking about um, his wife and friend writing a song for him. Right. <clears throat> and I think that, I mean, you can hear about new technology and great advances in medicine, but I think when you see somebody going through what he's going through and getting emotional about that, it's just a human, like I, I get choked up when mm-hmm. people are crying in front of me, we're feeling something too. It's it's not like a, you're sitting there like a robot or something. And I think it can just be so powerful for storytelling and for conveying something um, in a way that you just can't read that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's really gifted writers that can make you really feel something from reading it, but we're visual people, you know? And, and I think the being able to see that and hear that and connect with that person um, is just incredibly powerful. And, and yeah. maybe it's it's the thing that, um, you know, is going to make someone go get a pap smear, uh, something really awkward. Um, you know, years ago, I, I did a story. Um, an elderly couple had died because uh, their home had burnt down. There was no smoke detector, no working smoke detector. And I talked to a really sweet lady across the street. She had a lovely Scottish accent. And the policy in Surrey at the time was, when there's a fire, we are going to go around to homes of a similar age in that neighborhood mm-hmm. and check to see if their smoke detectors are working. We're going to offer to do that and replace them for free. Sure. And this lady right across the street from these from this dead senior couple, her smoke detector was not working. Oh, wow. And she was like, I'm just so 
grateful that they came and they cared about me. And I found out a couple weeks later from um, one of our camera ops that she'd been out in the field and someone told her, I saw that story that you guys did about the smoke detectors and I went out and got a new one because I didn't realize one of the lines was every 10 years you have to just get it replaced even if it works. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, somebody got it. And it was like, it totally made my week that somebody got went and got new smoke detectors. And I think part of it was seeing a real lady there who was like, all all my stars or or whatever it was. It was just such a, like she could have been anybody's grandma. Totally. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing. Yeah. And so that was like a a tragic circumstance. Like she knew the people across the street, like she wasn't in tears about it, but she was shocked. And then it, it turned into something that it made her home safer. And then if it made other people think about it, that's the kind of thing that I think is is really powerful. Totally, yeah. I love that story, but the way you started it, I thought you were going to tell me a story about how someone got a pap smear from watching <laughs> one of your stories. <laughs> I still well, like that okay, one, though. Okay, well, I'm just saying, maybe it'll make you do something very uncomfortable that you've been putting off. I do like how you're highlighting how television has to maximize that medium, right? Because you're right, there is a distinct difference between getting your news in the newspaper, which is a different type of medium, and getting your news on television and evoking emotion and evoking a more sensory experience, obviously from a visual experience, but then also an auditory experience as well, is important and it makes sense to to highlight those type of things. And that's why, you know, people sometimes get frustrated, why didn't you cover this story? <laughs> and I'll say it's a great story. I, I enjoyed reading it in the Vancouver Sun or we did a, an online brief on it or whatever. But what are we going to see yeah. if I tell you that story? Yeah. And and there are stories that we have done um, that we only do online or that we'll do a shortened version on TV. Sometimes um, I will, you know, pitch it to my producers and say, I'm going to get creative. Can I just like pull some YouTube video of... I'm just trying to think of an example. Um, okay, here's one. Uh, a number of years ago, the I believe it was the Langley RCMP pulled out a bulletin that they were um, they had heard a Project X party was going to happen. Oh yeah, and I don't remember. <laughs> it, I don't know who remembers those, but it was. It's basically like someone puts a, an event on Facebook, and maybe they're expecting a hundred friends or whatever from their school, and instead, like thousands of people would show up. Mm-hmm. So Langley RCMP were a like, lot of empty homes for that here. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> that's another aspect of it. But um, so Langley. RCMP were like, hey, you know, we heard about this thing on social media. It is not happening. We don't want anybody to show up at this rural property for a party. Yeah. And it was just such an interesting thing because we'd heard about massive Project X parties in the States and in Australia. And it was like, well, how are we going to tell the story? And it just so happened that in the past year, that movie had come out. Yeah. So our night producer at the time, I'm like, dude, let me start with this movie. Let me just pull, <laughs> a, pull a bunch of movie clips and stuff that's happened from elsewhere. Yeah. That's a local hook. Uh, but so we took something that may have ordinarily been just like an anchor reading 15 seconds worth of this thing from the Langley RCMP. And instead, it was like, holy crap, someone was planning a party like that here. Yeah. So sometimes you have to be creative and other times it just like science stories. I love science, but it's like, how are you going to show like molecules and, you know, all sorts of stuff like people pecking at computers. Like sometimes you just you just do that and you just try to do your best. But it's sometimes uh, the medium is not suited for the type of story that we want to tell. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. I want to wrap it up with this. Your podcast, BTS with CTV Vancouver, is fascinating because if what we see on television is the front of the house, the decisions and the considerations and the personal stories of actually creating that content 
is the back of the house. And your podcast provides a glimpse into humanizing what is otherwise objective news reporting, which I think, as we've sort of touched on, a lot of people are cynical about. But when I hear broadcasters talk about the challenges and the processes in presenting the news, I do recognize how incredible it is. I mean, even talking about the storm and having all those elements hit you in the face and you're freezing cold. You know, we watch that on TV, but we don't actually think about, oh, that's that's very challenging. You know, we see Anderson Cooper getting swept up in a windstorm and we think that's kind of funny without recognizing like, oh, there's a reason why he's out there. We can laugh at it, but there that's a person trying to deliver a news story. We've talked a lot about misconceptions or expanding sort of what you do out in the field. Are there many or are there any misconceptions about journalists or reporters that you find most common and you just want to completely dispel? There are so many. <laughs> What's um, on the top well, of your I list that we the, haven't discussed yet? I think the yet? big one is um, it's not like what you see in movies. Mm. Uh, there's no like secretive envelopes. I mean, I guess that happens occasionally. <laughs> I, I should have meant that because I had that happen to me recently. Oh. But, uh, but, You're going to leave me on that? <laughs> Are you serious? But no, but, but the, you know, people being ruthless, people being cruel to each other, uh, people... Um, uh, you know the, the, this um, this trope of, of the journalist doing anything to get a story like that mm. is just not true. And I mean, I can't tell you how many stories we end up not doing mm. because someone will come to us and it's like, well, I can't verify what you're saying is true, and I get a weird feeling about this. I'm not going to do it. It's not just about um, you know, oh man, this is super salacious. I got to figure out a way to make this work. Sometimes you just throw it in the garbage. Um, other times people, and I recently I had somebody come to me with an issue um, and we were going to do a story and the person that he was having conflict with, um, he told them that, oh, I've, I've talked to a journalist about this. And guess what? All of a sudden their concerns were heard. Hmm. The Everything's been resolved because he went to the media. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of great stories out there that uh, people never hear about because they get um, resolved because people have come to us mm -hmm. and that's okay we have to just kind of take um, sometimes things are going to you know work out really great and other times uh, people aren't going to want to talk to you somebody who said something in a pre-interview that you're like oh wow that is an explosive comment when you <laughs> sit in front of them with the camera they're not going to say that right so I think um, that is something that people need to realize is that we're not always out for like the big score or whatever um, our jobs are also really hard uh, trying to battle the PR um, uh, forces out there. Every time I need to get a response, whether it's the Ministry of Education, the city of Surrey, whatever, there are PR handlers, there are media handlers that we have to go through. Mm -hmm. And I can pester for sometimes weeks. With, with Health Canada, I, I uh, did a story last year about um, uh, cannabis research, and it was literally weeks to get answers to really simple questions. And you couldn't talk to a real human. It was all via email. Right. So I think people need to know, um, you know, you may see a polished looking face um, that looks really great on TV, but what have they gone through to try to get the facts together for your for the story that you're seeing? They've double, triple check things. When you mm -hmm. hear your story out there, just listen for attribution. 
right? This person says, uh, these officials claim. Um, sometimes maybe it's something that we can't verify independently. Maybe we just want to be really clear that I have not seen that. Yeah. This person is telling me what has happened. We're really careful about how we put stuff out there. So I don't want people thinking that we are, um, you know, out there just to be famous and get our faces out there. It is a lot of work. Yeah. And people do not get into this business to be wealthy. Uh, we do it because we're passionate about our communities, um, mm-hmm. passionate about helping people understand what's happening in their world. Yeah. Um, and there are good, as we've been discussing, there are good and bad things um, in terms of working in this medium. Mm-hmm. You know, you can really tell a compelling story with uh, with video and, and on TV, but then you have to deal with the bad side of it as well. So, you know, we will often um, kind of think about that. Sometimes times you have good weeks, sometimes you have bad weeks. Um, and, and that just kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. You know? As a bonus, I, I'm just thinking, when, I, when I'm looking at the U.S. media landscape, there's obviously a lot of bloggers and TMZ types and paparazzi Mm. types or whatever that are really coming into this news territory, quote unquote. Is that happening in Canada? Are there perhaps outlets or just individuals that you feel are presenting themselves as news, but, you know, they're not really news? And podcasts I look at differently. No, podcasts are different. And so, you know, what I'll just say is... um, People may look at us at, as the corporate media at CTV, or they may look at the CBC as, oh, the state broadcaster or mm. whatever. We, right, Rebel Media, of course. That's who I'm thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, even if it's like a, a local blog or whatever, some mm-hmm. people take uh, their work seriously and I think they mean to do well. But we are literally, um, you know, if we make a mistake or if something bad happens, um, you know, we get in a lot of trouble for it. You mm-hmm. know, we have a, a responsibility to be truthful, fair and accurate. We take that really seriously. Mm-hmm. And I don't think everybody does. So, yeah, you know, like we all need advertising in order to, you know, make a living. And, you know, I, I've got to pay a mortgage and you know, everybody's got to make a living. So, yeah, there's there's advertisers and all sorts of stuff that does not interfere with with our work. Mm-hmm. And I'm out there, you know pissing off a, a local mayor by, <laughs> by reporting on certain things and it ain't because we talking about Surrey? <clears throat> <laughs> I, I, listen I just reported on what happened in court and okay. it was a defeat for the city and there may have been some fiery language if people want to tw- check out my Twitter feed and, and what happened with the uh, ride hailing decision but yeah I mean that we're not doing that for you know we're not like doing a measles story and being paid by pharmaceutical companies like people have all these weird ideas about us that's not yeah. like what we're about and so yeah i think that legacy media um still has a role to play because we are accountable and i think that's partly why we are dependable because mm-hmm. we are you know there's a huge onus on us to um to be accurate and so i'm not saying that like a blog can't uncover something interesting or have some great things to say about you know transportation or infrastructure or you know environmental issues or all sorts of stuff um but when it comes down to it who are they accountable to yeah and we're accountable to a lot of people yeah. so and we work really hard to um to try to cover every angle of a story and to get as much detail as possible mm-hmm. penny this was amazing I had so much fun. The, the time Me went too. by so quickly. It did. How do people follow you? Where do they find the podcast? Just plug all the things, please. Okay, so my name is Penny Daflos. It's spelled D-A-F as in Frank, 
L-O-S is in Sam. Everyone knows who you are. Come on. <laughs> stop being so modest. If they want to find me on, on Twitter or whatever, uh, our website has links to my uh, BTS with CTV Vancouver uh, podcast. Um, and just as a quick aside for my podcast, um, the reason, I know that it sounds really weird that like, why does she want to show people how the sausage is made? Like, you know, that's, you know, people don't want to know or like, why are, why are they getting into the nitty gritty? A few years ago, I was in uh, the Okanagan covering the wildfires. Mm-hmm. And it was so exhausting physically, mentally, emotionally. We were uh, looking at, um, at first it was a mobile home park that had been completely destroyed. Other people were displaced. There were people with health issues breathing in all that smoke that you remember. Mm-hmm. It looked like a Martian landscape. Yeah, it was, it was so crazy. And yet in all the reporting and all the work we did, we were not telling people that, okay, I'm going from you know this area to this area and I don't know if anyone's going to be there to talk I don't know if there's going to be a blockade that we can't get through and there's no cell service so I can't tell my desk what's happening with the DeGero that we used to send video or do live hits it's not going to work out there and we don't know so we have to make plans at like 8 a.m. in the morning where are we going to go for the day what are we going to do are we going to luck out or are we going to have nothing to show at six o'clock yeah and it's terrifying there's people coming up to you saying is my home still standing and I'll be like, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to find out. The government's not telling us anything. And I don't want to speculate. And I don't want to cross a, a line mm-hmm. to go into an active fire zone. It's not safe for us. It's not smart. So all these things that came behind our reporting on what was a, a historic wildfire season in our province, people didn't know how hard it was for us to be able to tell the stories that they saw on their TV looking polished mm-hmm. and professional every day. Yeah. And so that was just um, the inspiration to be able to kind of peel back the curtain on a whole bunch of stuff. So the podcast is BTS with CTV Vancouver. Um, it's available pretty much wherever you get your favorite podcasts, um, iHeartRadio, uh, and then our uh, CTV Vancouver website. So check it out. <laughs> so awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time, for sharing your personal experience, and for giving us a little more insight into some of the personal challenges of being a reporter on the ground. I really appreciate it. The pleasure's all mine. Thank you. People, I encourage all of you to check out BTS with CTV Vancouver. It is a fascinating podcast produced and hosted by our guest today, a multi-talented, award-winning journalist and reporter for CTV News Vancouver. She is, of course, Penny Daflos. And I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace.